this is Des. Welcome to my podcast, According to Des, where I interview people with passions, hobbies, or side hustles, trying to live their best lives by following their dreams and pursuing their goals. Get ready to be inspired. Hello. How are you? How have you been doing? What is new in life? What projects are you working on? What goals are you working towards? I want to hear everything. Let me know in the comments. Find me on my Facebook group. Let me know there share your projects. I love seeing what people are up to. I am so excited to talk to Rebecca Haas today. She is a multi-passionate person like me. So excited. She has so much going on and she is just this fireball of energy. So excited. She is a music composer. She is a pianist. She is a creative wellness coach, and she's a podcaster, and probably a million other things that I don't even know about or forgot to mention. I am excited to hear about everything she has going on, all of her projects, and what she has to say about people's creativity and burnout, and how she manages to do all these amazing things. I think today's interview is going to be really inspiring and very informative. So excited. So let's get into it and let's talk to Rebecca. So everyone, I'm so excited. I'm here with Rebecca Haas and she is a pianist, music composer, creative wellness coach, and podcaster. So all really cool things. I can't wait to talk about all this amazing stuff that you do. So thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, very excited. So you do so many cool things, and which I really liked because I do a lot of different things too. So it was nice to see somebody has a lot of different passions and hobbies and businesses and a lot of creativity that you're working towards, which is awesome. Were you always creative growing up? I really think that everyone is creative, even if we don't see ourselves that way. But yeah, I started studying music when I was six. In some ways, kids are better at being creative than adults because they're just into playing and don't have as many thoughts holding them back from anything necessarily, Mm -hmm. or I hope they don't. But that's the long answer. The short answer is yes. (laughs) That's so true. And what kind of music did you start studying when you were six? Classical music and... Whatever else was in my piano curriculum, you know, I was just taking lessons and there were folk songs and there were classical songs and it starts simple. So, oh, wow, that's great. And did you ask to take piano classes or did your parents just put you in that? I did. I was wondering about that. So, I actually asked my mom about that recently. And we had a piano in the house. We probably got it when I was four or five and I would try and look at sheet music, but I didn't know how to read it. So I would see like the chord symbols. And so my parents taught me where the different notes were on the piano. So I'd like see a C and I'd play the C and it wasn't the song because it was just like the roots of each chord, but I tried to kind of figure it out. And then I think they asked me and I said, no. And then they tried again later and I said, yes. Then we went ahead with it. Oh, great. Oh, wow. And so did you continue studying piano? Because I know you said you're a pianist now. Did that continue for the rest of your adolescence? It's kind of interesting. Yes, definitely through my adolescence. It was my junior year of high school. I was getting more and more interested in jazz and less interested in classical music. Not that I didn't like it. I like a lot of different things, but I really wanted to go deep with jazz. And my teacher wasn't 
specializing in that. And she's like, I think I've taken you as far as I can. I think you should try this other teacher. And so my mom, I think, kind of left it up to me to call this person to initiate it. And being a teenager, I did not. Oh. So I actually didn't even take lessons my senior year of high school. But then I didn't exactly know what I wanted to do for college and ended up not really deciding to be a piano major until I was already there. I just thought, oh, I don't know if I can do that. I'll just minor in music. And then, you know, I like photography. Maybe I'll do that. I just didn't really have that as a plan when I went to school, which is interesting. Oh, that's funny because I kind of had the same experience. I knew I wanted to go into some sort of helping profession, Uh but leaving high school, I just had no idea what I wanted to do. So I just went to a community college, just do the prerequisites. It was a two-year school. So I just went through programs of other nearby colleges just to decide what I wanted to do because I had no idea. So I did the same thing. I decided when I was in college what I was going to major in. I think that's so smart because college is so expensive. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And what school did you go to? I went to Ithaca College in upstate New York. Yes, yes. And I went to Binghamton. So that's a mere 45 minutes away. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've totally been to Binghamton. It's been a long time. But uh, yeah. So I think that's part of why I picked Ithaca is because I knew it was a really good music school. And I was like, well, I want music to still be in my life. But when I got there, I began all the classes. So when you take a minor, I think you need to take like two years of theory and two years of various things. So like, it's not a rigorous all four years, like the major would be, but I just started all that stuff right away because I was interested in it. And then you have those little advisor meetings and stuff. And they're like, I think you're a little heavy in your minor. And I was like, I kind of want to do only this. Like it just became obvious to me once I was there that that's what I really wanted to do. And luckily I was smart enough to have pushed myself to take AP classes in high school. So I had all the generals finished. They took all that credit. Yeah. So I was able to transfer into the major for my sophomore year and not spend any extra time in school, which that was a good thing. Oh, that's amazing. And was your major then piano? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, great. So you didn't know from a young age that you wanted to be a musician professionally, but you just knew you wanted to have it in your life in some capacity? You know, I think I went through different phases of thinking, oh, I'll be a piano teacher or, you know, these different things. And then, I don't know, I think what happened in high school is that I didn't believe in myself enough that I could do it. And now looking back on that, I'm like, why did I think that? Like, we can grow and learn, but, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And I made those choices and I followed what I thought was right. And it turned out that I'm happy with my choices. So, you know, we figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So you ended up there eventually. Exactly. You do Brazilian music now. Is that right? Yeah. When did you discover your love and passion for Brazilian music in particular? I think I specifically realized it. It was either sophomore or junior year of college. I was about 20 and I was taking a class on Latin American music just as like an extra elective because I thought it sounded cool. It was the kind of class that non-majors took because it was easy. And I just took it because I was like, I think Latin American music is cool. And I was interested in jazz already. And I think I was interested in Brazilian music before I understood that I was interested in it and really like differentiated what different types of Latin jazz were and stuff like that. But I just know that I would be in the library listening to 
So this is like a little before we could download everything. So you had to like go and listen to the reserved record or CD or whatever for the class. And I'd be sitting there and I was supposed to listen to like track five of this one and track one of that one. And I was like, I just want to sit here and listen to this all day. I became obsessed with it. And each artist that I learned about, I would learn more about them and learn who they influenced and who they were influenced by. And then I would listen to that person. It just kept growing from there, my interest in it. So I started to play more Brazilian classical music and try to like infuse that into what I was doing at school. And then I moved back to Minneapolis where I'm from after I graduated and I was in a music store and I saw this flyer for a Brazilian drum group called Batucada do Norte, which means drum group of the North. Oh my gosh. And I emailed, yeah. And I emailed and they were like, why don't you come and see if you like it? And I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to love it. <laughs> but like, thanks for being casual about it. And that was in 2006. So I joined that group, got really, really into it got into performing with them like pretty much right away. Wow. There just happened to be a performance. And I was thinking, whoa, I just started doing Brazilian percussion. Like what, what is going on? Oh <laughs> but, That's but since I was a musician, it was easy enough for me to kind of roll with it. Mm -hmm. And then they told me about this camp called California Brazil camp, which is in Sonoma County, in Northern California, which I actually live a couple hours from now. I just moved oh. here a year ago, which oh, is amazing. Great. Yeah. And I went there for the first time in 2007. And that's really when my interest just started to kind of explode and flower because I just learned so much when I was there. You're basically in a redwood forest for a week with no cell service and completely immersed in Brazilian music Wow. or dance. Yeah. And they bring in amazing people from Brazil. So like, it's basically the best place to go and be immersed without leaving the country. Mm -hmm. And I've been there several times since then and learned so much from different people. Those are the big turning points for how it just kept growing. And, oh and now gosh. I'm in the Bay Area and there are lots of people who play Brazilian music here, which is really exciting. So yeah, that just incredible. keeps growing. And how long were you in that group for? I guess 13 years since oh my gosh started in 2006 and I moved away last year so oh, yeah so that whole time yeah mm -hmm. oh my gosh so you saw a flyer yeah and 13 years later yeah <laughs> oh my gosh that is so wild I love yeah that. yeah it was a great serendipitous thing yeah, and really, really like in Minneapolis once you learn who the people are who are into Brazilian music you pretty much like know all of them it's a tight-knit oh, okay. community and there's not that many of them <laughs> oh wow that's great yeah so what made you want to move to California my partner got a job here, but through all my trips to that camp, I also have an aunt and uncle who live here and I would visit them every time I went. And I was always thinking, I love the Bay Area, but it's so expensive. I could never move there. But then he got this job offer and we thought, hmm, could we do this? And it turns out we could and we did. <laughs> wow. Oh, so yeah. Cool. Wow. How was it leaving that group after 13 years? Was that hard for you or emotional? Yeah, definitely. A lot of those people were my very good friends. Um, I made an album a couple years ago and one of the leaders of that group is the percussionist on the album. It was definitely difficult, but they wow. were all excited for me too. Oh, and, that's and they were kind of like, we wish we could come to California too. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Do you have plans to join a new group out there? 
You know, I'm more interested in finding opportunities to perform on piano. Okay. And I'm not opposed to joining a percussion group, but I kind of feel like with just figuring out, I mean, pre-COVID, even just Mm -hmm. figuring out like my place in this music scene and work and all that stuff, I just kind of hadn't gotten that far yet. But yeah, maybe that'll come up. That would be cool. Oh, wow. Great. And so tell me about this album that you made. Yeah. So it's called Florecer, which means bloom in Portuguese. And there's kind of many meanings to that. I like... As a coach, I like the metaphor of growing, planting seeds, looking to nature for how we grow in an organic way, not in a push yourself sort of way. And also my family are gardening people. Like my dad wrote a book about growing roses. Oh, wow. Two of my uncles grow dahlias at the Haas family farm. My aunt has a horticulture degree. Like the Haases are flower. Yeah, the the Haases are plant people. And sometimes I'm like, am I allowed to still be in the family because I don't really do anything? (laughs) You went off or ignore. (laughs) Yeah, or I like ignore plants and accidentally kill them. (laughs) Can I still be a Haas? Is that okay? Yeah. Oh, it's okay. They didn't disown me, but (laughs) yeah. Yeah. So it kind of has more meanings. And when I was trying to figure all the logistics of the albums, like, oh, I need photos for the cover. I have no idea if I should do a photo of myself, if I should do art, what should I even do? And we visited the family farm, which I hadn't been to in like over 20 years because my grandparents passed a long time ago. And one of my uncles lives there and grows thousands of dahlias. And so we were like, let's go see the dahlias. They're in bloom. My dad had his camera with him. So I was like, can you take a picture of me by a dahlia? You know, I love these flowers. But then my uncle's actually a professional photographer and he just kind of like turned it into a photo shoot without me asking him to. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, because my uncle was like, oh yeah, I'll take some. And yeah, go stand over here. And so it's like a part of my family, but it's also a part of growth and my belief in growth and a growth mindset and just growing the dream of being able to even make an album, which is a long process. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. So what was that process for you? How did you go from idea to actually having this album, this tangible album? <laughs> Over a long period of time. <laughs> <laughs> so it came out in 2018. I think I started writing the arrangements for it in 2013, but I wasn't like, I'm writing an album. I'm going to start writing this stuff. I worked at a music school, which had faculty recitals and you could submit a proposal and, you know, they would program you based on whatever you propose. And so that first year I said, I'm going to write two piano arrangements of these traditional Brazilian choros. And so I had a deadline. I that motivated me to get those done. And I just kept doing that every year for like four years in a row. And eventually I was thinking, huh, I have enough arrangements and now original pieces to make an album. Maybe I should just do it. And that school also, they're amazing. They have a lot of resources that they use to help their faculty, but there was a grant process for like an artistic project. And I happened to get that grant in 2018 which was only a small part of funding the album, but I was like, okay, I've got the grant. Now I'm on a timeline. Here we go. (laughs) And so I did a Kickstarter. Yeah. And actually like from March to October was the process. Like I got the grant in March and I released the album in October. And that's actually like a pretty quick turnaround for both finishing Mm. the writing, funding it and recording it and mixing and editing and all that stuff. That does sound really quick. Yeah, but I 
had never done it any differently. <laughs> so oh. I just kind of, you know, went ahead with it because that's what I was doing. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Very cool. And so your album is for sale on your website, right? It is. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. And I'll definitely put that link in the show notes. Very cool. And you have a preview on there. I listened to it. It's beautiful. Yep. Thank yeah, you. It's beautiful. That's really, really incredible. So Thanks how so did you go from all this music, musician, composer, pianist to creative wellness coach? Yeah. Good question. Also like a circuitous path, like all <laughs> things in life, I think. Mm-hmm. But I have always been a very achievement oriented person, very type A, very workaholic, which I think was reinforced by being in music school because it's the kind of thing where you brag about how little sleep you get and how many classes you're taking and how much you practice that day. And American culture also wants us to work all the time. I come from farmers. I come from like a work ethic being a strong value in my family. Like there are a lot of things they were kind of pushing me towards overwork. But right. there were a couple of times over the last 10 years when I was severely burned out, very anxious, functional from the surface. Like if you didn't know me very well, you wouldn't really know. I was definitely not functioning very well. I was completing my responsibilities to other people, but not doing much else. Knowing that and knowing how much pressure I had received and how many messages I had received myself that I needed to work hard all the time and it's not okay to rest and you have to hustle. And I think entrepreneur culture has a lot of these messages too, which most musicians end up being. I'm sure you can relate to some of this stuff too. And it's like, yep. it doesn't work. I, no. I was burned out and I couldn't do anything. <laughs> so wow. the second time that this happened was in 2017. It was basically like a summer of me recovering and trying everything holistic that I could. I looked at my diet. I did a lot of acupuncture. I went back to therapy, you know, like list any anxiety remedy and I tried it wow. and things were still not changing for me. And this isn't a recommendation. I'm obviously not a doctor, but like the right choice for me at that time was to go on anxiety meds, something that I never thought Mm. I wanted to do or something that people don't really talk about. That was kind of a turning point for me, not because I went on meds, but because I was forced into focusing mostly on taking care of myself in order to recover. And I knew that I didn't want to go back to that same like completely full Google calendar because Mm -hmm. it just wasn't going to work. It wasn't going to be sustainable and it never was. And the older you get, the less energy you have. So it's like, I knew that I couldn't keep doing that. And I knew that I'd been kind of having these conversations with people about these wellness topics. I've been blogging about it before that. I've been sort of informally coaching people and I hadn't called myself a coach, but I was like, hang on, I'm really passionate about this. And I know I have a perspective that can help people And this is the direction that I want to move in. It was kind of an organic process, but. Oh, wow. Great. Yeah. And did you start thinking about becoming an official creative wellness coach in 2017 when you had that issue with your burnout? Yeah, that's kind of when it started. And then I officially launched it the next year. Okay. And did you have to go through any training or anything? I know there's some coaching programs. Yeah, I haven't. That's something I would like to do, I think, in the future. But also, I think that personal experience and learning is also really valuable. I don't want to say like training isn't important or that 
people shouldn't do it or anything like that. But I just know I'm the kind of person who sometimes would hide behind like, oh, I, I'm not qualified to do that yet until I get this credential. And I just didn't want to make that hold myself back. Gotcha. I've tried to do smaller trainings and other ways to learn, but I have not done a formal certification. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so what do you help people with? Somebody comes to you, they're burnt out or having creative issues or obstacles. What do you talk to them about? What do you help them with? All of that stuff. Yeah. I specialize mostly in people who are suffering from burnout and overwhelm because I know it so well. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. over the course of trying to figure out how to take care of myself better, I was able to develop a lot of tools and like ways of reflecting and ways of working that I know can help other people too. So people come to me when they're feeling overwhelmed and burned out and they're like, I just don't feel like I can ever rest. What do I do? But I also get people who are kind of stuck on a project or stuck moving ahead with their creative work, or they have a project they've always wanted to do, but they just can't find the time or space or courage in their life. It's definitely from both of those angles. But I think the thing that all of those people have in common is that they're stuck and that they really need support from an outside source to help guide them through that stuckness into Mm -hmm. moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. A support system is so important. You said that you believe everybody is creative, but there's so many people that say they don't feel they're creative. They don't feel they have a talent. They don't really have a passion. What are your beliefs about creativity and how can people kind of tap into their own creativity? You mentioned the word talent. And I think that's a word that a lot of us get hung up on. We Mm -hmm. think we're talented or we're not talented. That can really hold you back if you think you're not talented. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, we might have a natural inclination towards something. It might come more easily to me than it does to you or whatever. But I really think that talent is overrated. I think someone's ability to work hard and grow is going to vastly outweigh that talent. And if you have both of those things, that's awesome. You're going to go even further. But there's this great book called Mindset by Carol Dweck. And that book really, have you? Yeah. So you know about fixed mindset and growth mindset? Yeah. Yeah. That concept just totally blew my mind when I read that book. Cause I think I was really in fixed mindset before. I know I just said, I didn't really believe in myself being able to major in music in college. Cause it was like fixed mindset. I am this way and that's how I will stay. And really that's not how it has to be Mm that you can, through your mindset, you can choose to grow instead of staying fixed. I think that belief that you're able to grow is a lot more important than being talented. Right now, I think more than ever, we just need to do things that feel good. And I think a lot of times we discount things that feel good because we're like, well, hard work. Work's got to be hard in order for it to have value. And I really don't think that's true. Something I'm still wrestling with after the value of hard work being drilled into me for so long. I actually made this email course. It was a challenge that I did in my Facebook group, Creative Wellness Club at first, but now it's a free email course that people can do. It's called the Feel Good Creativity on Challenge. Oh, And great. so if, yeah, so if people are feeling stuck, I think that's a great resource. It walks you through five days of super easy bite-sized creative prompts with a wellness prompt because we're living through a very stressful situation right now. You know, in order to feel safe, taking a creative risk, if that's something that you have fears about, you're going to have to feel safe in your body. You're going to have to make your nervous system feel safe. So I think that might be a good place to start if you're feeling really stressed out and want to do something creative and that's stressing you out further. 
you can think about what's the smallest, lowest stakes way I can do that. For some of us, say I put a lot of pressure on myself about something I'm doing piano wise. Like maybe that's not how I want to de-stress on that day. If I'm feeling a lot of pressure about like my main thing, maybe I'll pull out some paper and some fun pens. I like to doodle. Maybe that's what I do. You might not see that as significant or important if you're like looking for it to be a major achievement. But I think any way that you can take the pressure off yourself to achieve or to be good or any of those things, I think that's a great place to start. Awesome. I agree. I've talked to a few other creatives interviewing them and they've said the same thing when they're kind of feeling stressed with their own passion. If they do art or whatever, they'll doodle for fun, like no pressure, or they'll do an arts and crafts or they'll color something very low pressure and fun, but still creative in that way. You're still kind of engaging that part of your brain and having fun. And I think creativity shows up in a lot of different ways that maybe we don't think of because creativity, like we just talked about art and music Mm -hmm. and these things that fall under the heading of art. But like, say you own a business of any kind, you need to be creative in finding solutions to make things work for you. You might need to be creative in making dinner tonight because you don't have all that ingredients you wanted. Creativity comes up in so many different ways that we might not give ourselves credit for, I think, too. That's so true. You mentioned the time we're in now and just our culture of our society that's like, go, 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 busy, 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 fill your calendar and how it's almost like a bragging right now. Like, you know, there really is this kind of guilt almost of, you know, binge watching a show or just like relaxing or reading a book. How do you feel people can kind of get out of that mindset and not only get out of that mindset, but kind of fight that societal expectation that if you're not busy or occupied or overwhelmed that you're kind of, because it goes into people's worth, right? Like people think that if they're not busy, if they're not creating something, if they're not checking the boxes of everything on their to-do list, that they're not worthwhile or not worthy or not fulfilling their obligations. Like how can we fight back on that societal norm and have people be guilt-free about that? I think you're so right. Busyness is so tied to worth and importance. And by saying, you know, how many times have we had a conversation where we're like, how are you? Oh, busy. Oh, so busy. And it's like, Mm -hmm. you're not really saying it, but you're kind of saying like, I'm important because I'm busy. Yes. So I think the first thing is just realizing you're doing that. Like that might be just a default response, but you might be able to pause for a second and go, oh, I could say something else. You know, just realizing places in your life where that comes up or different thoughts that you're having, it's a long process of dismantling. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm devoting my life to this work and I still work on it every day thinking about like, did I do enough today? Anytime you can question that thought, I think that's a good first step because you're not going to fix it today. It's going to take a while to process and shift your mindset over a period of years maybe, but yeah, start by questioning it. I also think that rest is productive. And by thinking of rest as productive, you might be able to justify resting more. I also don't want to say rest is productive. Like that needs to be the only reason that we rest. Like I think we deserve to rest and enjoy Uh our lives anyway. And there's a lot wrapped up in that. And that's a whole other conversation, but that has been a good mantra for me is just to say like rest is productive. I know that if I don't replenish, I can't continue to do the things that matter to me. Mm -hmm. The guilt is a big thing. The (laughs) other thing we can do is surround ourselves 
with the opposite message. Even just who you follow on Instagram. If you're following a lot of people who talk about hustle all the time, maybe you don't want that to be your whole feed. Maybe you want to start following people who have the message that, okay, rest is important and self-care is important. And that's like a very passive way to do it. But I also think we don't realize how much we're absorbing from the mindless scrolling that we're doing. So I think anywhere that you can sneak in a new message and question the old message, that's going to be helpful because you're planting seeds, you're watering the seeds of less pressure, hopefully, and then you're not watering the ones about more pressure. And eventually the right ones will grow because you're watering those. Yes, absolutely. That's so true. I really agree with that. And it can be as simple as changing our response and thinking about it not saying, oh, I've been so busy, but you know, coming up with things that really matter. Oh, yeah. I spend time with my friend or my partner and my dog for a walk. Like those are productive things too. I mean, those are things that make us happy overall, getting outside, spending time with our friends and family. Like those things are important. Yeah. And then just the really stark question of if I learned I was dying, would I want to be doing this right now? Mm-hmm. And that may not be a question you have to ask yourself every day, or I hope it's not. Once you just frame it like that, it's like, oh, well, that's not that important to me. Okay. Or maybe it is important to you because it's something that gives you money and that is something that facilitates other things that are important to you. It's not that simple, but mm-hmm. yeah. No, but I agree with that. And just, I think that goes into learning how to say no, because so many people will just say yes to every opportunity, everything somebody asks. And when their plates are already full, they're adding more and more and more and learning to say no. And just like you said, thinking about, do I really want to do that? Sometimes really it's no, but I'm going to anyway because of this obligation or my friend asked or I feel responsible for this. And just learning to say, you know what? I don't want to spend my time doing that. And that's okay. Yeah. And the other really important thing I think is to know that this whole thing is a process. Shifting your mindset is a process. You might try to rest and feel super uncomfortable and really guilty. And that is a human response because you're really used to that. If it's hard to give yourself permission at first, give yourself the grace to just feel that. That's okay that you feel that way. It's okay to be a little uncomfortable in it. And the more you do it, the easier it'll get. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very true. And that's something that people often say too about meditation. Yes. When you start, and I've had this experience too, it's so difficult. I'm kind of like a fidgety, anxious type of person on the go all the time. And meditation's really, really hard for me. I just feel myself jumping out of my skin and I'm like, I can't do this. I can't sit for this long. That discomfort does get easier over time. Yeah. That's such a great example. Do you know Pema Chodron, the Buddhist teacher? No. She's great. She has a number of amazing books. In one of her books, she talks about how terrible she is at meditating and she's been practicing it for decades. You know, she's not young. The kind of point that she's making is you don't get good at it and you just keep practicing it anyway. And it's really hard. (laughs) There's this whole anecdote about how much at this silent retreat, she was so focused on this woman and she was convinced that this woman hated her. (laughs) Those were the thoughts going through her head while she was trying to, you know, clear her mind of thoughts. And she's like, Mm -hmm. This happens to me too. And the monkey mind is there. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll have to definitely check her out. I've heard yeah, so many she's people great. going on these silent retreats and 
I just can't even fathom it. I don't think I, I'm like, I don't know how people do that. I can't. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, that takes skill. It's like anything. The more you practice, it gets easier over time and you get a little bit better at it over time. And, yeah. and it's important. I mean, there's so many studies that show the benefits of meditating and just sitting in silence and pushing away all your thoughts and being comfortable with just yourself. And that's really hard. Yeah. And maybe we don't have to be good at it. Maybe that's okay. Yeah, that's totally okay. And it's no, hard to say. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I know for me, whatever works for you, I know for me, because it's so hard for me that I do meditate every day, but at night before bed. Mm -hmm. So I lay down mm -hmm. in bed. I have apps. That's easier for me. So yeah. I have an app and I turn it on when I lay down and I lay flat on my back. And I listen to the app until I fall asleep. And I know that's what works mm -hmm. for me. So that's what I do for now, you know? Yeah. And meditation doesn't have to be sitting either. It can mm -hmm. be walking. It can be being mindful in literally any activity. So if anybody out there is like, oh, meditation, I could never sit. Maybe try a different form. That's okay. Yeah, absolutely. I visited recently. Um, it's called this Mother Cabrini Shrine here in Colorado. And they have a meditation walk and it's beautiful. We weren't meditating or being silent. You know, we were the only ones on it, me and my boyfriend. Uh -huh. So we walked through and we were talking and everything, but they have a meditation walk that you can go there anytime day and they have benches and they have this beautiful path you walk on and it's this big loop and water fountains and it's beautiful and it's called the meditative walk and it's really nice. So yeah, and I did talk to a monk in Thailand and he said that there's all different types of meditation, that there is walking meditation, there's standing meditation. I mean, there's guided meditation, there's mm -hmm. just silence and yeah, so many different kinds that people could experiment with and try out. You now have a podcast as well. Can you tell me about how that started, how long you've been doing it, what your podcast is all about? Yeah, it's about to change, but oh, going okay. back to how, yeah, but I'll go back to how it started. Okay. So there's a podcast called Being Boss that's for creative entrepreneurs, which is an amazing podcast. I think it's been around maybe five years at this point. There's a whole community that's developed around it. And I think I started listening to it somewhere near the beginning. So uh, I've been a fan for a long time and they do these vacations and they did one in New Orleans in 2018. It wasn't the first one. They did them like yearly for a few years before that. But I was like, cool, I'm finally going to go on the Being Boss vacation. This oh will be gosh. fun. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And we had a little community, like a Slack community to chat with people beforehand and see like who wants to share a hotel and whatever. So I shared a hotel with a couple other women and one of them, Lexi, and I became friends. Well, I became friends with all of them, but Lexi and I were chatting to catch up afterwards. And we both said, wow, one of my goals for 2019 is to start a podcast. She woke up in the middle of the night with like this flash of inspiration. She's like, hang on, there's a lot of overlap here. What if we do this together? You don't have to say yes to all of this, but like, here is this lightning bolt of thoughts that I had in the middle of the night. And we talked a little bit more and eventually decided that we want it to be about creative entrepreneurship, self-care and spirituality, and that we wanted to interview other creative entrepreneurs about that stuff, but mostly just be having deep, honest conversations that weren't just like the business tactic stuff. We, we wanted to talk about the real stuff, the real story. We did two seasons of that. And Lexi decided to step down to focus on her own work. She's an astrologer and business coach and has oh, wow. this really cool program going on now. So that was sad, but it was also this exciting opportunity to pivot the podcast to be in line with my own work. And the title being a whole person, like that fits perfectly with creative wellness coaching work. It is relaunching for season three this Friday, which 
Oh, awesome. We'll hear this later, but it's July 31st will be the first episode of season three. And it's going to be one interview per month and the rest will be solo episodes with just like resources, helpful tips, things to reflect on that will help you be more self-compassionate and support your wellness as a creative person. So that's what it's all about now. And I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I can't wait to listen to the new episode. That's really cool. Thanks. And is this new episode an interview or is it just solo? The first one's going to be solo. The second one will be an interview. Then there'll be a few more solo and the interview, you know, it'll be in a pattern after that probably, but we'll see how it goes. It'll be a mix of both for sure. Very cool. Very cool. As I said in the beginning, I mean, you do so many cool things. You do your podcast, you do the coaching, you do your music. How do you balance all of this stuff that you do? I was just actually talking about this as I recorded (laughs) the episode (laughs) that I'm about to release. And about how the word balance is kind of a tricky word because we think of it as this thing we can achieve, but yet it's always shifting because the things in our lives are always shifting. And I know before we started recording, you were saying like we're alike in that we both have so many things in our lives and people like to have the advice of like narrowing down on one thing. And I think that's good advice in some cases, but I also think like if you're interested in a lot of things that you should try them, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's a challenge to balance those two things. I think of balance as a more long range concept. For instance, when I was making my album, that was my main focus. I was teaching piano. I did some other things, but like my creative focus was on that until it was finished. And then when that was finished, it was like, okay, what do I do now? And maybe something else takes the forefront for a while. And for me, things tend to naturally go in seasons like that. That's just kind of how it has worked. I think the main thing to think about with balance is just making sure you're doing enough to replenish your own energy. And if you are doing too many different things and it's stressing you out and it's taking away your focus from those things, that's something you have to look at. And of course, this is all really complex and really personal Mm -hmm. to each person and might be different today than a month from now or whatever. Balance is going to look different for each of us and different at different times. But I think making sure that you are doing more things that replenish energy than deplete your energy is kind of the equation. Not that it's an equation. You can calculate or anything like Uh that, but but that's kind of what I think about. I agree. And there is this push, I feel like, especially for creative entrepreneurs that niche down, focus on one thing. And everybody says, you're not going to get anywhere if you don't focus on one thing. And you're not going to find your group and people who follow you and you're going to turn people away. And that might be true, but I feel like it is also a lot of pressure for people who are interested in a lot of things and don't really want to focus on one thing. I just feel like that can cause guilt as well that you put one thing on the back burner and you're only focusing on one thing. And I think people just have to do, like you said, people just have to do what feels good to them. Yeah. I think you're totally right. I think that when you put something on the back burner, you might feel bad about it, but ultimately you just have to accept that you can only do so much at once. Have you read the book Essentialism? No. It's great. You should check it out because it talks about this very thing. And he says that you can kind of only focus on one thing. And like, I think it kind of reduces things down too much, but there's this kind of concept that you have like four burners on your stove. And I think it's like family, health, work, and fun. And 
blanking on what the four things are, but he's like, you can only really have one burner on at a time, you know, on like full blast. I'm, I'm totally messing up this metaphor, but there's this diagram that is basically a little circle and it has a bunch of little arrows that are really short and they don't, you know, they stretch out like an inch. And then the next diagram has a circle and then it has one long arrow kind of representing that if you are putting your effort in lots of different places, they're going to move forward, but they're not going to move forward as quickly. Mm. So wherever you put your effort, yes, you're going to grow there. But like, if you don't put effort into music for a while, that's not going to move forward much in the times that you're not paying attention to it. But however long your arrows are and how many of them you have is just kind of the choice that you have to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think people that want to focus on a lot of things, that's okay. And like we were saying before, you don't have to go far with everything that you do. It's okay to do things for fun and it's okay yeah. to do things that you're not good at. And it's okay to be bad at things and still enjoy them. And I think there's a lot of pressure at oh, you're really good at painting. You need to sell that art. You need to have an art show. And no, you can just paint for fun. That's okay. Yeah, absolutely. And you're saying something about saying no to people or saying yes too much earlier. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big part of it too, is just knowing that a yes to one thing is going to mean a no to something else because of limited time, energy, resources. That can feel bad, but it might just be a reality and you might say, I'm making this choice now and I'm going to make a different choice later. And it's just a matter of knowing why you're making those yeses and nos. Yeah. Oh, that's so true. I love that. A yes to one thing is a no to something else. And that's okay. And like we said too, it always changes. Life changes so much. You might be focusing on one thing now and then later focus on another. And then you might get a job in that area of the one thing you're focusing on. And then, you know, things rotate. Things Definitely. change all the time. One of my main goals for 2020 was to integrate myself more into the music scene here and get more gigs. (laughs) So that's not really happening, but you know, that's one case where I'm like, I'm grateful that I do a lot of different things because one of them is not really happening right now. I've done online concerts and that's been fun, but it's not exactly the same. Right. Oh, that's really cool though. Yeah. But then it's like, okay, well, that arrow is kind of shriveling up right now. So this (laughs) other one is going to get longer and that's cool. I'm not happy about it necessarily, but I accept it. That's so true though. I think that's such a good point is that when one thing doesn't work out because you have so many interests and passions and hobbies or what have you, it's okay that that one thing doesn't work out because, hey, there's all this other stuff over here. So that's actually a really good point. I really like that. Thanks. Yeah. And you can try again later too. Mm -hmm. It's not like, oh, that didn't work out. The end. Yes. Hopefully 2021 will. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Fingers crossed. I don't even know. But I don't, I don't know either. I don't, who knows what the future holds, but at least you exactly. know what's going on. So, hey, you yeah. can work on a new album in that time. You never know. Right? Yeah. And if I know one thing, it's that humans are adaptable and resilient and it might be tough for us to go through transitions and change, but we can do it. Absolutely. And I feel like now I always say this, thank goodness for the internet during this time because (gasps) we can do anything online. So many people are working from home. You had your online concerts. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. It's really, The only thing you can't do is play music with other people in real time on Zoom, which is very sad, but I've done some very cool things. I don't know if you know the app acapella but it, no, people use but it. I saw your video though that you posted. Oh, that was uh-huh. so cool. Thanks. Yeah. People used it to loop 
their own voice. Like I think that's how it was intended to like layer their own vocal tracks. But I've been collaborating with friends from that music camp actually who live across the country. Oh my gosh. We just kind of trade off percussion goes first and then guitar is next and hand it off to you. And then eventually like you're playing together, not in the same room, but it's still a really cool thing. That's incredible. And that's all in the acapella app. Yeah. Wow. That is amazing. I love that. Yeah. So really, really cool. That wouldn't happen. No. And that's (laughs) probably not. No. And that's awesome. And that's something too, is that I love TikTok and through this quarantine and lockdown, whatever, I've just scrolled through all these videos and people are so creative. Just cool things come out of just being home and just thinking about kind of fun things sometimes. Definitely. Where do you see yourself going from here? What's next for you? I think like a lot of people, it's kind of a big question mark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just continuing to do coaching for sure. Right now, I'm also working on an ebook about compassionate productivity, oh, about great. fueling your creative work through compassionate productivity. So that's the next project I'm working on creation wise. I also am thinking about doing a course about compassionate productivity this fall. Oh, great. But I kind of want to take it easy in August because despite being at home, I feel like there's still been a lot of work going on and a lot of things to think about. So it's easy to forget that you need time off and vacation when you're at home all the time. <laughs> oh, it's so true. I know. That's, that's funny because that's true. And then awesome. musically, I'm hoping to kickstart some more composing. That's something that hasn't really been happening for me through this quarantine and through the transition to moving last year. So I'm not sure. I'm kind of letting that flow how it wants to, Mm -hmm. but I'm hoping that I'll have the mental space to start doing more writing soon. Gotcha. Really, really cool. Awesome. Well, Rebecca, it has been such a pleasure talking to you. You are just so inspirational and wise and have so many good ideas for people and a lot of great advice. I really appreciate that. Thanks. I appreciate being on the podcast. Wow. Okay. So that interview was everything I thought it would be and more. Rebecca is so full of wise words. I love how smart she is. And I love that I would say something and then she would give her perspective on it. And it wasn't even a perspective that I had considered. I thought that was really cool. I felt like the whole interview, everything she said, I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, totally. I hadn't thought about it that way. And I love that. I love that other perspective. So cool. A few takeaways. Work does not need to be hard for it to be of value. More and more people are feeling burned out due to the pressures of society and this just constant wheel of work we're on. And if this isn't working for you, hop off the wheel. You have to do something to change your life at least a little bit. You don't need to be talented to be creative. Everyone is creative in their own right. This is a big one. Rest is productive. It's so important to rest. So, so important. Sometimes we need to make rest a priority and it gets put last. And that is not helpful for our overall well-being. Shifting your mindset is a process. It's good to be aware and let yourself acknowledge how you're feeling. But changing thoughts and behaviors can take a very long time. It is a process and that is okay. It's okay to be bad at things and still do them. And that's something I try to tell my kids that I work with all the time. It's totally okay to be bad at something and still enjoy doing it. I am horrible at drawing. I can barely draw a stick figure. 
but I love to draw and I love to color. And even though I'm bad at those kind of things, I still enjoy doing them and that's okay. People put so much pressure on only doing things that you're good at, but you can still enjoy activities even though you're bad at them. One major thing is I'm so bad at crafting, arts and crafts, so bad. Everything I make, I hate it at the end. I'm not going to lie. Everything I make, I throw it out. When I go to those paint and sip parties, I love them. I throw out the painting. I'm so bad at all that kind of stuff, but I enjoy it. It's for in the moment. It's for fun. So that's okay. Rebecca recommended a few things. I'm going to put everything of Rebecca's in the show notes, her recommendations, her website, where you can find her, her Instagram. Definitely go check out Rebecca. She has so much to share. She has so many wise words to share with you, and she's so inspirational. And her ebook is done. It's up and running, so I am going to put that link in the show notes as well. Definitely check that out. So excited. I thought that interview was so, so good. I loved re-listening to it. Oh, I just felt so good after I spoke to Rebecca. I really felt just lighter and excited and inspired, and I love that feeling. I feel like I could just talk to her forever. Definitely go check out her podcast, too. If you loved this interview and you liked what she had to say, check out her podcast because you could listen to her and be inspired every week. Awesome, awesome. If you liked this interview, go back a few episodes and check out my interview with Nancy Norbeck because she's also a multi-passionate person and very inspirational and a creative coach. So check out that interview as well because I think these two have a lot in common. If you liked this interview, you will love the Nancy Norbeck interview. Again, as I always say, go join my Facebook group. It is facebook.com backslash groups backslash according to Des. Go in there, join me, share what you are up to. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.